When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great tasting, all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Hi, and welcome back to The Carol Markowitz Show on iHeartRadio. We're tough on the younger generations. I admit it. They just seem so inept. A lot of the time they post stuff about, quote, adulting, and it's just ridiculous stuff that they don't know how to do, like mail a letter or register to vote or something. I saw one the other day that I actually felt bad for him. Here, let's roll it. Somebody please tell me why. I just got back from somebody's house and they didn't have any of their curtains up and they were like, don't mind me, just washing the curtains. What? And, you know, I didn't want to look dumb, you know, so I was like, <laughs> hate when that happens. Are we supposed to be doing that? How often? Why are we washing them? How often are we supposed to do that? And what other adult thing do I not know? Because I'm at my max adulting. I don't have curtains and I don't think I ever have, but I didn't know you were supposed to wash them either. I think actually the reason I don't have them is I'm sort of a germaphobe and I just find heavy material hanging around to be a collector of dust and dirt, you know, kind of gross. But I digress. We've all read the think pieces about how millennials and now Gen Z don't know how to do adulting as a verb. Our next step needs to actually be to do something about a generation of people and the generation behind them who don't know how to live in the adult world. We need to bring back useful classes in our schools that will teach the necessary life skills to young people. I hear from parents all the time about how their kids are just not functioning and they've hit you know, 20, 25, 30, and they don't know how to do basic things. Kids used to take classes like shop and home economics where they learned woodwork and cooking and other things. It wasn't considered condescending to teach them these basic skills, which allow them to function as more competent adults outside of school. Perhaps previous generations were able to adult better because their parents and teachers took the time to show them how to do it. We've talked about these generations also lacking social skills. 
and millennials and the younger generations after them, they have no real social skills because they have limited social interactions. Social media has made people so withdrawn from others that, you know, some studies show a full 20% of young people reporting they have no friends at all. They're the first generation that grew up on the internet. It makes sense that their social skills aren't where they should be. And, you know, we tisk tisk at them, but we stare at our own phones and we should be teaching them some lessons instead. People also used to take etiquette classes, sometimes at their actual school, to teach them things like table manners and how to answer the phone. Times have changed and it's less important now to know which fork to use at dinner. And, you know, nobody has a communal home phone anymore. But the idea of teaching kids how to behave in society should still be done. Look, parents are busy. I get it. I'm busy. And that's often the real reason why young people can't manage healthy adulthood. No one is at home to teach them how to do it. It's not a judgment on households with two working parents. I mean, again, we're a family of two working parents. But it is an explanation of why younger people have such a hard time functioning. If your kid hits 18 and doesn't know how to mail a letter, it's very likely because you haven't taught them. So much of what we do should be reprioritized around helping our kids become functioning adults who can do the, you know, adulting. We get caught up in other minutiae and don't work enough to produce capable people who can do basic tasks. Make it a habit to teach your kids one new task every few days or explain something boring like, yes, how washing curtains gets done. And then explain it to me because I don't get it either. <laughs> Coming up next, an interview with Mark Hemingway. Join us after the break. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great tasting, all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Hi, and welcome back to the Carol Markowitz Show on iHeartRadio. 
My guest today is Mark Hemingway. Mark is a senior writer at Real Clear Investigations and an editor at The Federalist. Thank you so much for being on, Mark. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm going to start with something that I've mentioned to you in the past, but I am very wowed by your kids. I, <laughs> you, you have two teenage girls. They are smart, kind, responsible, but also like funny, real people. They're not just like, you know, perfect robots. They're really wonderful and they're just really good and it's obvious. So how did you do it? Ah, well, uh, that's a really good question. I, uh, when I figure that out, you know, I should probably write a book about it. Yes. Um, or bottle no, it's it. Very, very kind yeah. of you to say that about mm-hmm. my, my kids. And, and I just would add that, you know, my kids, your kids are wonderful as well. Um, Thank you. I, I think that. But I would say, see, that the thing is that, like, I think, I, I agree. I think my kids are good. But that's why I think I'm just extra wowed by your kids. I think that they're fantastic. And I, you know, I feel like I have a barometer for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe so. And, and it is, is true. I, I, I would say that something, a switch kind of flipped, I think, in the last mm-hmm. 10 or 20 years. I mean, I think culturally it was actually going back further than that because the sort of homeschooling classical education revival really happened in the in sort of the mid-90s. Um mm-hmm. And that's for a lot of reasons. I mean, there was a lot of cultural factors that led to that. And, um, um, you know, it was also the internet coming online, you know, you just school or something like that, like curricular materials and things like that were, mm-hmm. were very, um, you know, hard to obtain. You'd be like ordering from some dodgy catalog and you wouldn't be <laughs> sure you could like the materials until you got them right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was, education was a much more complicated process. And the reality is, is that, um, until you start getting into the later stages of high school, education is not rocket science. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that what a lot of parents uh, in our situation, that people that are attuned to what's going on in the culture, you know, brought more broadly in terms of being concerned about the values and the direction of politics and things like that. Um, my wife and I just put a lot of effort into making sure our kids got a proper education. Um, aside from the fact that I think that we both came from good moral backgrounds on our own, but you know, both my wife and I went to public schools, you know, nobody ever thought anything of it. You know, I went to public Mm -hmm. university as well. And I look back on a lot of that experience in the nineties when I was, you know, going to high school and college and in, it was pretty horrifying in a lot of ways. You know, there was a lot right. of degeneracy and other things like that. And not that I was always on the straight and narrow path in that regard and or, or even, you know, cared that much about it. But when I look mm-hmm. back at it, I think, oh, that was really bad. So by the time we had kids, uh, we just decided that we were going to invest a lot in their education in particular. And um, we were fortunate with a few things. Um, uh, for 17 years, I was on the board of my Lutheran church's um, classical school, which, you know, over the course of my, I was actually on the board of the school because before we were even married and had kids, just as a member of the congregation. So I got really invested in education early in terms of what worked in terms of curriculum, what the right environment for your kids should be and that sort of thing. And so they went to a classical school, K through eight at my, my Lutheran church, and now they're in a wonderful uh, Opus Day run Catholic all girls high school that is just mm-hmm. a remarkable institution, um, and those and I think the school the schooling in the school environment had a lot to do with it. Um, they were taught like very correct principles, you know. They were taught things like informal logic and how to spot fallacies and, and things that like they right. just don't teach in, in public schools anymore. Yeah. And, like, and, and then of course you know I think re- education is fundamentally a moral act. Um, you know, whether you, it's your education is being backed by, you know, a church or a particular theology, um, or whether it's being, you know, backed by, you know, some sort of effort at home, 
mm-hmm. um, you have to fill that void. Like if you're sending your kid to public school, it, it's not that they're not getting a moral or religious education. They absolutely are. It's right. just the question is, is what are the morals and religion that they're being taught? And if the only morality they're getting in schools is global warming and anti-bullying oh, and, yeah. and, you know, mm-hmm. respect trans people and, and whatever else, um, then I think that you're doing a disservice to children and, and we're seeing the fruits of that. Yeah, I fully agree. They're being filled in with some values. It's just which ones are they? And if you're not, you know, corresponding to those values at home, you should get them out of that educational setting. I think that's so important. So you also have one of the best marriages I've ever seen. You and your wife (laughs) hold hands everywhere you go. Um, It's clear that you really like each other. So how do you keep that going? Uh, wow. Um, I know I'm going to start with some easy questions. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think the answer to, to take my long winded, um, uh, answer on, on education and kids, uh, um, and distill that down and it applies to this. The, the short answer is you have to put a lot of thought into it. Um, I also think that though, just, um, there's a couple of things there though, with the marriage. One are there some things that like, I just, it's hard to take credit for in the sense that, um, Oh, go ahead. Take credit. No, I just mean (laughs) there's, there's some providence involved, you know, know, divine or otherwise. Um, you know, I, people it's to, to paraphrase, uh, um, Harvey Dent, um, you you either (laughs) die a hero or you live long enough that people ask you to give young people advice. And I, I, I'm like, I'm at this stage of my life where people are constantly asking me to like, come talk to kids. And like, Mm -hmm. this is one of these things where if I'm talking to young kids, I always, I don't care what the topic is. I don't care that they ask me to talk about journalism. I talk to them about, Hey, what are you doing to get squared away to get married and have a family and do all the things that are going to sustain you and make you happy? In addition to these other career things, because guess what? The career isn't going to go well for you if you're not taking care of the other stuff. Absolutely. Um, So, um, I think that that's, Focusing on that is really important. Um, so anyway, the point is, is that I basically I give kids two pieces of advice, um, which is that if you figure out what you want to do for a living um, and you figure out what what sort of vocation you, you can do day in and day out to you know put a roof over your head that you enjoy uh, doing every day um, and you figure out uh, um, who you're going to marry and who's going to make you happy in a sustained, committed, lifelong relationship, you get those two decisions right. To get those two decisions right, you can be degenerate in about 20 different ways, and things are probably <laughs> going to work out for you. Um, if as long as you've got those two commitments working for you, you, know, you well, can probably get... better not to be degenerate right. in 20 different but ways. I'm just, just saying, in you... case where anybody's listening and deciding on, you know, the, the path. <laughs> right. right. Don't be an alcoholic, but, but you, you know can. what I'm saying? I, I, but you can get through a lot of serious problems, and I don't care how good your marriage is or how good your career is life's going to throw you a lot of curveballs and there's going to be a lot of things that you have to sort of overcome. Um, and so from a very early age, um, I like the time I was, you know, 14, 15, 16, I knew I wanted to be a writer. I've been doing, been a professional writer, interesting jobs along the way. That's another story, but, but, uh, but that's, I pursued that single mindedly and it's worked out for me and I've been very happy. And then the second thing that happened to me was, uh, my first day of my first job in Washington, DC, after I graduated from college in Oregon, uh, we had an all staff meeting in the building. Molly walked in. I literally like did like head on a swivel thing. <laughs> literally like I pointed to her and like that was it. Like I don't know how I knew, but I knew. Mm-hmm. And people that know me and, and Molly would testify to this and she would be correct that I have the emotional attenuation of a piece of sheetrock. So I don't know. <laughs> 
how is it that I immediately knew that she was the mm -hmm. one when she like basically walked into a room? Right. Um, you know, there was a general vibe or whatever. Um, and the I, I quickly, you know, it, but I should also add that that was in August of 1999 when I first saw her. We didn't get married till September 2006. Okay, so okay. you know, smooth sailing it took, all the way. It took way. a little while. <laughs> um, but uh, um, I, but I, but we discovered along the way, and and I think it took Molly more effort on her part to realize this than that did me. Um, and not to say that I didn't contribute to the problems here, but um, we had extremely similar worldviews. Um, you know, uh, in the sense that we're both very worldly people, but also very sort of concerned with more morality. Like I, we're both people mm -hmm. that can kind of exist in the world and all its fullness and, you know, degeneracy as it were. Um, and try and see a moral path through that. And, and hopefully in terms of our vocation as writers, be people that can sort of illuminate that path and point out like, this is what's going on. You know, you know, we can, we're strong enough in terms of character that we can wallow in it. And I think at the end of the day, the fact that we have such a similar worldview in that regard, you know, it, it, you know, it's not like we agree on everything hardly. I mean, we, right. Um, and, and the other thing is just simply that she's obviously brilliant. And um, I, had never met another girl who um, just sustained my interest so fully and completely. I remember at one point in one of our various periods that we were off, I dated this girl who I had no business dating because she was so much more attractive than I deserved. But like being with her was like watching paint peel for me. I mean, it was just like I couldn't do it. Um, and Molly, never a dull moment with her, as you probably imagine. Yeah, She's, she really is amazing. Um, you're one of my favorite writers. I've told you this before. Uh, how did you get into it? No, it's true. I mean, I, you know, preparing for this interview, I got to like go back and read a bunch of things that you've written that I've really like loved over the years. I don't know those, that, that one from San Francisco that you wrote for the Washington Examiner about like, you know, uh, being propositioned by a prostitute while at the same time, like a homeless man is I don't know, screaming into a shoebox or something like that. Uh, and then somebody, another, another homeless person tried to take food off your plate at yeah. the restaurant. I, I just, you know, I, I just love the, that all really happened to me in my last stories. trip. To, that all really happened to me in my last trip to San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and that was pre pandemic. I mean, like I, you know, right. and I'm from Oregon. Like I, for, I can't begin to tell you what, what, uh, every web major West coast city and how bad it is. Uh, but anyway, yeah. I guess it's a story for another matter. We'll, we'll get into that. Though. As for the, as for the yeah. writer stuff, um, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Um, I was, according to my mother, was very verbal from a very early age, and I taught myself to read well before I was in school, and I was just obsessed with books growing up. Um, mm -hmm. and my parents are reasonably well-educated. They both have graduate degrees, um, um, but uh, my parents are very interesting people. Um, my dad was a retired Marine colonel who was five years old and living in Pearl Harbor when it was bombed and lived all, the world, all over the world when he was a kid and had been all over the world in, in the military and worked for the CIA and done all this exciting stuff, um, even though I was raised in the middle of nowhere in what was at the time pretty you know, rural-ish Oregon, I would say. And my mom, I don't know what to say, my mother comes from the most insane, eccentric family. Um, so there was just a lot of color in my life. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> I wouldn't describe it all as very, very good. I mm -hmm. mean, there was a lot of insanity, frankly, um, you know, in terms of, uh, I don't know, just family drama and other things like that. Um, so as much as I hate to, I hate all that. Um, it's also true that that kind of environment sort of fosters creative people, I think, unfortunately. Right. Um, and, uh, 
I don't know. I, I like I said, I grew up in rural Oregon, and I rural ish Oregon, like about three and a half hours outside of Portland and Bend, Oregon, which is now a big ski resort and a very fancy, nice place to be. When I knew <laughs> there was eighteen thousand people, and it was there was no airport, and it was, I mean, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I like when I was in high school, you know, me and all my friends had to get really creative to like basically entertain ourselves and. Um, I was always involved in creative pursuits. I played in bands in high school and I just, I always loved reading and I was writing from a very early age. It was pretty clear I had some sort of natural talent for it. Like I'm a lot funnier in print than I am in person. Um, um, <laughs> I think you're pretty funny in person. <laughs> well, thank you. But, uh, um, and so I just, you know, it was, it was, it was clear. It was easy. Um, mm-hmm. But I think just a lot of reading, um, you know, was at an early age. And I was always attracted to uh, creative writers, if that makes sense. Like, Mm-hmm. I'm not creative writing, but creative writers who are creative, um, yeah. more creative. So like, um, I was, you know, things like I was reading Hunter S. Thompson at way too early in age. Um, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, you know, David Foster Wallace was a big fan. Of, I was a big fan of in college and people that were doing interesting funny. things. With, yeah, funny, you, I think is so important. And I think it's so overlooked, especially like in our political politicized universe. I think people don't try to be funny and that's unfortunate. I was just about to say that um, I remember I was in high school at some point and my uh, deadhead sister was like, here, you'll like this. And she like threw me a copy of PJ Rourke's Parliament of Horrors mm-hmm. when I was like 15 or 16. And I mean, uh, that is such a brilliant book. Yeah. It's, it's so funny and it's so quotable. Um, and, you know, it's, it's PJ Rourke's book on the, it, it, it's called Alone Humorous Attempts to Explain the Entire U.S. Government. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so universally true in terms of its observations about bureaucracy and other things like that. I mean, it's, it's great. Although it is funny to reread it because it was written in like 1987 and it's like, you know, can you believe the debt is $1 billion, you know? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, the humor was, was, was really, really big for me in that respect. And it's like, even now I'm, I'm obsessed with humor, but like, I have extremely high standards for it. Like yeah. I can't just watch stand up. Like it's gotta be someone who's really good. Who's your favorite right now? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, um, Shane Gillis is great. Oh, he's great. Yeah. And uh, Anthony Jezelnik just kills me, even though he's like just basically wicked. But his ability to craft jokes that you don't, where you don't expect the punchline is just unbelievable. And of course, Dave Chappelle. From a literary perspective, I don't think people people get what Dave Chappelle does and how like insanely impressive it is. Because mm-hmm. he does this thing where he, he does what they call callbacks. Where you're talking, he'd be talking about something, and then like right, thirty minutes later, to, yeah, he'll remind yeah. you. Mm-hmm. And his ability to do that so seamlessly, and the mind humor out of that is so sophisticated and literary. Like, I mean, that like I don't know what Dave Chappelle's IQ is, but it is very high. I assure you. Right. If I can give you a recommendation, I don't know if you've heard of him, but Nate Bergazzi is so he's just my top favorite right now, and he's completely family friendly. Like I didn't even realize that for the first few shows, but no cursing, no, like, you know, any bad imagery. He's really great. My wife and daughter love him. I don't know. I mean, like I, I, um, like I said, I have really high standards for this sort of thing. Yeah. I agree. He is very funny. Um, it's just, he's not enough for me to sit down and watch 45 minutes of him. Oh, I love him. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> Try Tennessee kid. If you, you know, okay. You know, like, I'll, you know. I'll check it All out. Right. But it's also true. Like to some extent, um, People that are really into humor are like not mm-hmm. normal people. Like there's this famous Groucho Marx quote about if you want to make a normal person laugh, 
you dress someone up as an old lady and push them down the stairs mm-hmm. in order to make a comedian laugh. It's got to be a real old lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's kind of where I'm at. Like right. it's got to be something that's really, you know, not necessarily out there, but something that's like really on a, uh, uh, something that really catches you sort of su- su- surprise yeah. su- in a surprising way. Dimitri Martin is another guy I really like. I have to look them up. We're going to take a quick break and be right back on the Carol Markowitz show. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. So what's the most controversial thing you've ever written and do you stand by it? So, Is it Taylor Swift? <laughs> it might well be. Um, yeah, I wrote a piece on a uh, piece was headlined something like Taylor Swift's popular is the decline of is is what was it something like is is um, the decline of Western civilization or something like that. It was or or um, is it's a sign of societal decline. Mm-hmm. Um, which yeah, um, people really got worked up about that. And like strangely enough, earlier in the year, I wrote a piece about how. I, I was really frustrated that people were constantly backing in the parking spaces. Um, and Wait, that, what are they supposed to do? Um, n- nose in the parking space. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking, okay, I'm thinking parallel parking. I'm still, you know, New Yorker, obviously backing yeah, yeah. into a parking spot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And boy, wow, did that backing in the parking really? space thing, like, get people in. To this day, like, once or twice a week, oh. like, people often I, I've, I've never even met. Will come I, I missed that one. I want to go like, find it. Yeah, and they, they have like really strong feelings pro or con backing into parking spaces. Um, 
which is, you know, and I, I lay out all my reasons for why in the piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, like they're, you know, but you know, the, the thing is, is anytime you stake out a position on like a controversial issue, I mean, if you're being honest, there's going to be some sort of nuances. Like, I don't think Taylor Swift is like a complete hack or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, the problem is my argument wasn't that, you know, I don't understand why Taylor Swift is popular or, or that I don't think she's talented at all. It's more, I don't understand the level to which she's popular mm-hmm. relative to the Darth of everything else. And never yeah. mind, I do have very specific criticism of Taylor Swift and her approach to songwriting and other things like that. But like, I don't know. It's it's weird, and I, I don't know. I guess it goes back to like the void people are trying to fill with culture in the absence of, you know, in, in the midst of societal decline or having religion or, you know, um, I don't know, uh, um, you know, c- c- civil civil organizations that would that they could dedicate themselves to like people identify as Swifties more than they do, you know, anything else. And it ends up becoming like a religious war when you criticize Taylor Swift, right. no matter how nuanced you try and be about it. Well, I kind of get that for teenagers. Like I mean, you know, my 13 year old daughter, definitely into Taylor Swift. We joke about it being a cult. Like she waits for dear leader to say something to her fans. And, um, but for grownups, I, I'm with you. Like, I don't get the absolute deep, you know, fascination with a pop star's life and just what's going on with her. I think that that's like, you know, get a life a little bit. So, yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a hack musician too. And like, this is another thing that just bothers me about like what she does. It's like, there's a lot of sophisticated stuff going on in terms of productions and the sonics, but so many of the songs are basically like literally the same chord changes. Right. Like the same, you know, basic, you know, music is happening over and over and over again with her. And like, it's one of these things where once you hear it, you just can't unhear it. But like, people are not willing to, I don't know, it's weird. Again, as a writer and someone who like takes this stuff very seriously, like I invest myself, like I can't, I can't just like any old stand-up comic. Like mm-hmm. I gotta, like maybe it's maybe I'm being ridiculous. Maybe I have to that I have to formulate my own sophisticated reasons for why I <laughs> I can or cannot defend my my um, my standing of this particular comedian or musical artist or mm-hmm. whatever. But I do think it's important that people look critically at the world around them. And you know, look, I'm not saying you can't just like you know tune into some pop music and enjoy yourself or whatever but at the end of the day i feel like there's got to be two culture's got to be operating on two levels you know Mm -hmm. there's got to be some sort of like middle brow intellectual level that sustains a a culture uh the sort of the 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 lowbrow stuff if if that makes sense um if you go back and you listen to pop music in, in the 80s you know i mean what was going on was insanely musically sophisticated compared to now um and i you know and i think it's just that people are getting you know dumber i mean like the Beatles, Beatles were massively, massively yeah. popular and like mm-hmm. insanely musically sophisticated, like on right. par with Bach right. in terms of a lot of the stuff that they were doing. Well, I mean, and they're still huge. It's not like people are like, oh, the Beatles suck, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's that's true. But like, I do worry about a generation or two out. I mean, like, um, it is very true that um, people have reverse engineered a lot of stuff. You know, it mm-hmm. used to be, you know, I don't know, um, you know, culture was more culture is more fragmented now. And so I, I guess what that means is to the extent that there are things that rise to the top that everybody quote unquote agrees on or decides is popular, they tend to be really lowest common denominator things mm-hmm. because 
I don't know, back in the day, we used to complain all the time about, you know, various corporate distribution channels for stuff, um, you know, overlooking the really quality stuff and going for the dumbed down stuff. But the reality was, is the corporate paymasters back then, they didn't have algorithms to tell them, right, you know, right. in instant real time, like Netflix or Spotify does mm -hmm. to tell you what people are liking and what specific second of the song or movie. Um and so they were, to some extent, guessing and exposing people to, to stuff that they wouldn't have otherwise been exposed to. Whereas interesting, now, interesting point. it's yeah. all metrics. So what would you say, and I ask all of my guests this, but what would you say is our largest cultural or societal problem in America? And do you think that it's solvable? Wow. Yeah, I mean, again, this is the show for the hard questions. What, what's the meaning know? of life while you're at it? Um, <laughs> It gets harder from here, so. <laughs> um, well, I think basically the problem right now is that um, there's a spiritual crisis in the country, and I'm not saying that necessarily needs to be answered by organized religion, but like, um, you know, for instance, it's acute among young men in particular, but, you know, mm -hmm. people need reasons to wake up in the morning. Um, yeah. You know, they need to feel like they're engaged in productive work. Um, and with a lot of the economic changes that have happened, um, in terms of offshoring manufacturing jobs and things like that, I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm sympathetic to the, you know, quote unquote free market or, you know, economic efficiency arguments of certain things. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're not providing sustainable jobs for people, never mind that there was all kinds of other stuff that's been going on in okay. terms of, you know, the, the fact that these middle class jobs have all been shipped off, um, and, you know, the income inequality that we're seeing, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of how it's affected things like housing markets and other things. Um, we really just need to address this sort of, you know, spiritual slash work crisis. Um, you know, people need to know what they can do to contribute to society and feel good about what they're doing. And it goes back to what I was saying, you know, like you can figure out from an early age, you know, what job mm -hmm. that you can do that's going to sustain you, um, that you're going to be happy to do every day and you can do that job, then, you know, that, that solves so many problems in life. And so many people, you know, they're, whether they're graduating with a liberal arts degree, um, you know, $200,000 in debt right. yeah. and not knowing what to do or whether or not they, you know, grew up in a, a steel town when the mill closed mm -hmm. 40 years ago and don't know where to go or what to do with their life. Um, you know, this is happening across, I think all, uh, strata of society, mm -hmm. actually. You know, people need good jobs and they need to like know what they can do to contribute to their communities. So I've never heard that answer before. So that's a good one. Um, we talked about, you know, your family and your work. Do you feel like you've made it? Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I have zero complaints. Um, zero? I, is, zero complaints? Well, I mean, I've got <laughs> lots of superficial complaints, but they're not complaints at the end of the day that I can feel good about, you know, the fact that I made them through the course of the day. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I have two, you know, beautiful kids um, that are doing very well in school and otherwise. Uh, I've been married for 17 years to someone I'm still very much in love with. Um, and I have a tremendous respect for, um, and, you know, I own a home, um, you know, in, in terms of, and I, you know, and I have money in the bank. I mean, like, I don't know what more right. you and American can ask for. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of like nice to have things, you know, my wife and I grew up out West and we've talked about, you know, maybe someday being able to get a vacation home in the mountains, but, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, these are aspirational things. And as for the day-to-day -day stuff, I, I really just don't, 
have any sort of, you know, big complaints. Um, I will say that as someone who grew up in Oregon and my wife grew up in Colorado, we've been in the DC area for a long time and that presents a lot of unique challenges living here. I mean, it's expensive and, mm-hmm. you know, educating our children has been like a full-time task because of the surrounding environment and things like that. Um, but, um, I mean, at the, at the same time, you know, my wife and I are obviously successful at what we do and I, I, I just can't complain that things have worked out the way that they have. I love that. Well, I've loved talking to you, Mark. Um, end here with your best tip for my listeners on how they can improve their lives. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, I told you it gets harder from here. <laughs> uh, the best tip I could say would be to... Um, there's a lot of people who give you a lot of specific advice about, you know, avoiding the internet or this and that and other things. Um, do as much as you can to be connected with real people and like real things that are happening in real life, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, Touch grass? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sort of. I, mean, I just mean that like, you know, if, if you need to talk to someone, you know, arrange to meet them or call them rather than email them, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, make a human connection, you know, if, if you can, if there's a problem in your community or whatever, you know, go talk to your city councilman. Like that's how like actual change is made, you know, whereas mm-hmm. it's so much easier to dismiss, you know, this sort of, you know, howling into the digital ether. Yeah. Um, and, you know, similarly, you know, get out of the house, you know, meet people, join social clubs, you know, whatever, you know, make a point of seeing people regularly. And by the way, I'm telling you this because this is something like I really struggle with. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, I think it's a thing that particularly affects middle-aged men. Uh, you know, I'm going up to Brooklyn to see a good friend from high school this weekend. Um, I haven't seen him in like, you know, two years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know, you, you really have to make an effort at a certain point in your life. I mean, right. I'm busy and I got kids and whatever else, but mm-hmm. it's really important that you make the effort, not just for you, but for everyone else and for the community. Yeah, I definitely agree. It took, you know, leaving the house, leaving the internet, all very important and a topic that I cover a lot on this show. Thank you so much for coming on. I've loved talking to you. Mark Hemingway, let's read him wherever you can. He's just amazing, and I'm a big fan. You're way too kind, Carol. (laughs) I'm a big fan of you as well. Thanks so much for joining us on The Carol Markowitz Show. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! 
wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.